Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And it is still March of 2020. And at this particular time, we uh, and our city and our country and our world is in the grip of the coronavirus. This has been unlike anything that I've experienced in my 43 years of life. And I'm guessing that you can probably say the same thing. Uh, This is truly an unprecedented experience for me. And as a result, I'm asking a lot of questions to try and figure out what I should be doing, what we should be doing uh, as believers in Christ in this particular time. I think it's wise for us to stay calm. I think it's wise for us to remember that God has not been taken by surprise in all of this. And if we're familiar with Scripture, we shouldn't be all that surprised either. A disease is a common feature of life in this fallen world. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they unleashed a corruption upon this world that has thoroughly affected everyone, everything, even every molecule of our existence. So much so that plagues and disease and sickness and even death are the normal experience. So this shouldn't take us by surprise. There's even some theological answers to why all of this is happening but more specifically, as we're living in self-isolation, as we're living in you know, self-quarantine, not being able to buy toilet paper and bottled water, that's not very normal for us. So while disease and sickness and all of that is normal for our world, the circumstance we find ourselves in is not normal. So what are we to do? Well, as Christians, we have to live out our day-to-day lives in a particular way. So how do we do that in the midst of this coronavirus outbreak? So last week on the podcast, Breck and Jeremy and Mark joined me, and they helped us gain a basic understanding of how we should think about this virus and what we should think our immediate response as Christians should be. You know, generally, how do we continue to serve one another, and where is God in all of this? Well, today, I want to continue down that same path, but I want to get a little more specific. And I want us to look at Colossians chapter 4 together and consider how we should approach our days in the midst of this current health crisis. So I'm going to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and then I just want to talk to you about it a little bit. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to the church at Colossae. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. uh, Verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, there's two main imperatives, main verbs in this section, and those two verbs are um, continue steadfastly in prayer. So prayer is the first command. And then the second one is walk in wisdom, right? So, so there's two ideas here, pray and walk. These are the two things that that are the, the pillars of this passage, but there's all these other little things that help us think through how we are to pray and how we are to walk. So this is what our day-to-day life as a Christian should look like, whether we're in the midst of coronavirus outbreak or not. So four things. First, he says, 
continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer, verse 2, and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, there's quite a bit for us to consider in just this one verse, but the word of command that we're hearing here is pray. You should be praying in the midst of what you're dealing with. And yes, I know that you're frustrated about people hoarding resources at the grocery store. And I know that you might be frustrated with people who appear to not be taking this virus all that seriously. But don't spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about that. Spend more time in prayer. And while you're praying, be thankful Just last night, as our family gathered together for prayer, we always gather up um, in the living room, make sure all of our devices are out of our hands, and and we gather up together and we just sit down and we we talk, uh, we share what's on our hearts, we share our day, we and we pray for one another before you know the kids go upstairs and and settle down for the night. And last night, I asked my kids, you know, what they were thinking and how they were feeling about all that's going on in our lives right now. And one of my sons mentioned that he missed his friends, right? We're involved in a school and, and we're not going to school right now. We're, we're starting um, to do online learning through at home. And so he, he mentioned that he's really missing his friends. But he also mentioned that he was sad that he wasn't going to be able to play baseball. Now, my, my son doesn't fully understand all that is going on in the world. We are not that family who keeps the news or the television on 24 hours a day. We talk to our kids. We, we kind of filter all that stuff to them. Um, but he doesn't understand everything that's going on, but he does know that his world has been shaken up quite a bit. And we spent some time talking about that. I mean, yeah, we do miss our friends as well. And yeah, we wish we could be doing some of the things that we really enjoy. But we also spend a few minutes as a family talking about all the things that we should be thankful for. I wanted my kids to be able to put this in perspective. You know, most of us should thank God that we're not sick, right? Most of us, we should thank God that we still have food to eat. We should thank God that we have generous neighbors who love us and care for us. We had some neighbors that brought some food over to us last night just because they were thinking of us and wanted to make sure we had something that they had. We should thank God that, you know, our parents, mom and dads, still have jobs. That's what we talk to to our kids about. And if that doesn't hold up, we're going to be okay. We still have a roof over our heads. We still have people in our lives who love us. We should be thankful that we have a church family who loves us and misses us and is praying for us and who's reaching out to us on social media and in text messaging and in emails. We have a, we have a church family who is eager to serve the needs of our, you know, our body. We should be incredibly thankful for that. We should be thankful that we have God's Word in our hands. I hope we're taking time to open God's Word and read and study and be encouraged and find our hope and our confidence in Christ and His Word. We should be thankful that through technology, we have the ability to worship with our church family from home. We have the ability to see our loved ones. We have the ability to continue to minister to one another. Just last night, I'm, I'm on my computer with my headphones on, and I'm, I'm um, in a, an online chat with a, a group of young men that, that I've been discipling over the years, and we're talking about Philippians together. And, and downstairs in our home, uh, my two teenage kids are gathered around the computer, and they're They're engaging with SDG and learning about apologetics and worldview stuff. I mean, we are able to continue to learn and and do ministry even though we have to stay home. We have technology that allows us to do that. We should be immensely thankful for that. I mean, here's the reality. Brothers and sisters, we have much that we can be thankful for. And so let's heed the instruction 
from God here uh, in Colossians 4 2 to pray steadfastly. Or, or, you know, in a, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. And as we're doing that, make sure that you're doing it with thanksgiving. You know, perhaps you should turn off the TV news for a little while. Pick up your Bible. Spend some time in the Word and prayer. I really don't think you're going to miss much at all. The fear of missing out is real. But we should take the instruction from Jesus more so than we should from that. Um, and, and if we just look at Jesus' life, we see that, that he was n- never too busy to pray. There was never a busier man in the history of the world than Jesus. I mean, he was the Savior of the world, but that didn't keep him from walking away from everything and sometimes everyone in order to pray. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read, And rising very early in the morning. Some of you don't have that phrase in your vocabulary. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, a lonely place, and there he prayed. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 15, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to heal him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. So we need to be thankful for the things that God has done, but we also need to be steadfast and pray. And if we can just look at Jesus' life over and over, we see that the demands on his time were growing, but he was withdrawing, and he was doing this in order to pray. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus would do this. Um, He would withdraw from the crowds in order to pray. Now, we don't know all the reasons why Jesus prayed. uh, But we do know that in the face of great demands, he valued communication with his Father, right? That's the first thing, at least on my short list of why Jesus probably did this, is that he loved talking with the Father. He, He loved to communicate with the Father. He also needed guidance and he needed comfort, which he received from communion with God. I mean, if we can look at some of the prayers that Jesus is praying, we know that he's not just saying, hey, God, we got this. We're going to make this happen. He's actually crying out for guidance. He's crying out for comfort. Jesus uh, would, would go away and he would pray because his task was so great. He needed spiritual help, and he gained that in fellowship with God. And I guarantee you, our task right now is great. How we care for one another, how we love one another, how we serve the Lord, it's, it's a great task in front of us, and we need strength. We need guidance from the Lord. And Jesus prayed like this in a way to set an example for us to follow. And the example is that prayer should be as common to the life of God's people as you know, swimming is to a fish or singing is to a mockingbird. This should just be common for us. So maybe we can think about it this way. Prayer was as common to Jesus as our morning cup of coffee or tea is to us. It's the way he started the day, and it's the way he finished the day. Deadlines didn't get in the way of prayer. TV news didn't get in the way of prayer. What the latest, greatest panic mode thing was didn't get in the way of prayer. They drove home the need for more prayer. And so that's what we need to do. We need to remember to slow down and pray. John Piper writes, the very spirit and essence of prayer is dependence. So (laughs) we are in a place right now where we should have a spirit of dependence upon the Lord, and we express that spirit of dependence in prayer. So that's the first application for how we can live for Christ today. Don't allow your schedule, don't allow the news, don't allow your 
uh, your inbox to drive you toward irritability and selfishness and stress. Allow those things to drive you to prayer. Build prayer into the rhythm of your morning and the rhythm of your days. But that's not all we're called to do here. Not only are we told to pray with thanksgiving, but in verse 3 it says, and at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, one thing we need to know about this particular letter, and I'll do it really quickly, is that Paul is writing it in prison, and he even mentions that. He's he's in prison for declaring the mystery of Christ, he says in verse 3. So he's in in prison for preaching the gospel, and what is he asking for? Well, he's asking for the church to pray for God to enable him to preach the gospel. I mean, this man lived with a sense of gospel urgency that was incredible, and we need to learn something from this. Paul is asking, okay, so what is he asking for when he says, pray that God may open a door for the word? Now, he's, he's praying for asking the church to pray for one of two things. He's either asking for God to open the door of his prison cell so that he can go back out into the world and take the gospel out again on his missionary journeys, or he's praying for God to open the hearts of his hearers, those who come into contact with him, even the prison guards, because he wants them to see their need of Christ and repent and believe. But either way, Paul is saying, in the midst of this terrible circumstance, I'm not going to stop praying for and working for the advance of the gospel. So let me just ask this question. Do you find yourself at a loss for what to pray for right now? Probably not. I mean, we're praying for healing for the sick. Uh, We're praying for protection for our loved ones. We're praying for God to remember his mercy in the midst of all of this panic and disease and death, right? But if you haven't thought to pray for an open door for the gospel, you should. Pray that the gospel would be declared and that more people would be born again. The heartbeat of the Christian life is is not just doing good things. The heartbeat of the Christian life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved from our sin and the wrath of God because Christ took our place on the cross. We deserved death and judgment, but in his mercy, God applied the blood of Christ to our account, and we are saved by faith in him. And when we truly come to an understanding of this gospel reality, we should want others to know it as well. So let's be faithful to pray for the gospel's advance, and let's also be faithful in our part to advance the gospel. Don't neglect to share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Teach it to your children. Share it with your friends. Comfort your family with the truth Uh, and the hopes that we have in Christ. Pray for God to make the gospel clear and undeniable. Pray for your loved, uh, loved ones who are lost. Ask God to open their hearts and their eyes to the gospel truth. So there are many different things going on in our lives right now that we should be praying about. There are big decisions in front of us. There are big concerns. We need wisdom and guidance and patience and all of these things. And there are things um, that we are praying about. But one of the major things going on in this world that we need to be praying about is that there are men and women who need to hear the gospel and be saved. So let's pray for the gospel's advance. So devote yourself to prayer in thanksgiving, pray for the gospel's advance. And, and verse 5 says, And walk in wisdom toward outsiders and make the best use of the time. Now, that's the phrase, that making the best use of the time. That's the phrase that um, caused me to look this up and start thinking about Colossians this morning. Uh, but how do you make the best use of this time? 
That's the question I was asking myself. How do we make the best use of this time? Well, Paul says one of the things we can do is walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Be wise in the way you act, especially toward outsiders. And I think he has in mind there unbelievers, just not members of the church, right? Now, Paul assumes that we're going to be encountering outsiders, unbelievers in our daily lives because that's just the way life is. And because of this, he says, make the best use of that interaction. Make the best use of your interaction with unbelievers. Now, this is going to be a challenge for us because at a foundational level, we're more prone to feeling than we are to thinking. And wisdom, walking with wisdom toward outsiders, wisdom requires that we think our way through life more than we simply feel our way through life. Um, and and we, we do this very instinctively. We do this very naturally. Uh, we might ask, and I ask my kids, how, what are you thinking about what's going on in life? And what are you feeling about what's going on in life? Those are two different sides of our experience in this world. And Paul doesn't say here, walk uh, in a very feely, touchy way. He says, walk wisely. And I think most of us have a tendency to elevate the importance of how we feel over the importance of whether or not um, our, our feelings and thoughts are right and wise. And there's room in our life for both. But Paul says, no, make sure that you're wise. He's calling for wisdom. And Christian wisdom is the mental capacity to understand and function according to biblical truth. That's just a simple definition. Christian wisdom is the mental capacity to understand and function according to biblical truth. So what he's saying here is as Christians, we should govern our conduct with unbelievers on the basis of biblical wisdom. So what constitutes biblical wisdom? Well, here's a couple of things, right? Um, some of you are thinking about Proverbs right here, that, that uh, wisdom begins with a fear of God. That, uh, proper biblical wisdom begins with a proper fear of God, which means that we stand in awe of God and we give appropriate respect to God and to His Word. Our lives are oriented around our Creator. He is the center and source of all life and all goodness and all truth and all things. So biblical wisdom starts with a foundation of a fear and awe of God. And second, biblical wisdom is constituted in that we let the Word of God, we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Um, so we let the scriptures, we, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we listen to sound teaching, and we let all that we read about and we learn about shape the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our family, the way we view the culture, right? So we're, we're not only starting with a foundational fear of God, but we're building upon that foundation with an understanding of His Word. That's biblical wisdom, applying the scriptures to our lives. And then third, we process through the decisions of life with the fear of God and with the Word of God as guiding principles. So that's what biblical wisdom looks like in a very simple way. Some decisions are simple because the Word of God is clear. Some decisions are a little more challenging. And so we, we look to the wisdom of others. We look to the help of others. We, we try to understand as much as we can through other biblical counselors. But ultimately, this is a, an approach to biblical wisdom that we should have. So as we're going about our day, we should be walking in wisdom. Here are a few questions that we can ask of ourselves in regard to the decisions we're making at this time and whether or not those decisions are wise according to Scripture. 
Here's a couple of questions. Number one, is this thing that I want to do, or is this thing that I'm thinking, or is this communication that I'm making, is this spiritually beneficial to me personally and to the gospel generally? Right? So we're not just thinking about, or we're not just feeling our way through, we're thinking, does this make good gospel sense? Is this going to benefit me spiritually and the gospel spiritually? Will this decision make God look glorious, or is it going to slander His name? As you walk in wisdom toward outsiders, part of that is you are a representative of God. Will your decision, will your speech make God look glorious, or will it slander his name? Will it be a lie? Number three, will my actions be affecting others in a sinful or a godly way? So if, if you're, you know, at the grocery store and you see that they've got a fresh batch of paper, uh, you know, toilet paper, will you take all of those things and be selfish about it? Or will you turn around and, and hand a package of that stuff to an elderly woman that's standing there beside you? Will your actions affect others in a sinful way or in a godly way? Number four, does this violate God's word? Is it illegal? Now, we're in this particular state where, you know, our government is saying a lot of things, which I think, for the most part, a, a lot of the instruction and the recommendations that are being given are, are easy to follow, and they're not, they're not, well, they're difficult in some ways, but they're wise. It makes sense. Um, our, our rights have not been violated in some way. I don't think what's happening right now is Christian persecution, right? We're not being forced to close our doors. We're, we're, they're recommending that we do certain things to protect the population, and I think it's part of loving our neighbor. So I don't think that we're violating God's word in the way that we're operating right now, and I don't think that what we're doing is necessarily illegal, but you need to ask yourself those questions. Does what you're thinking about, what you're saying and what you're doing, does it violate the Word of God? Number five, can you do this in a way that glorifies God? All the decisions that we're making, if we're only thinking about ourselves and we're only thinking about our feelings and we're only thinking about our security and our comfort and we're not thinking about the glory of God, then we're not operating, all, we're not operating with biblical wisdom. Number six, can I do this in a way that shows love and concern for others? And we've got two great commands that Jesus reiterates for us in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourselves. Are we living and acting and speaking in such a way that we are showing love and concern for others? And number seven, this is the last one. Are you following the example of Jesus to help reconcile sinners to God? Now, these are just some basic questions that you could be asking, and we'll post these on our website so, um, so that you can get the manuscript for this podcast, but we're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders during this time. Christ calls us to do this, not to waste our time, but to make the most of our time, to maximize every opportunity to make Christ look glorious and the gospel to be proclaimed or shared or commended. And so that's what we're being called to do, to, to devote ourselves to prayer um, to make sure that we are doing so in a way that shows thanksgiving to God. We're to pray specifically for the gospel's advance and work toward the gospel's advance. And one of the ways that we do that is that we walk in wisdom toward others. And when we, when we speak up, Paul has one last thing to say to us here in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The way we feel or think in the moment is typically going to come out of our mouths. 
right? Because the primary way that we communicate is through speech. So if we're afraid, fear is going to come out of us. If we're angry, anger is going to come out of us. If we are desiring to control people, um, manipulation and control are going to come out of our mouths. And and one of the the components to this command for us to walk in wisdom is that we need to exercise self-control in the area of our speech. We need to let our speech be filtered through grace and seasoned with salt. Now, what does that mean? Real quickly, to speak graciously means that we speak with care and concern for others. We aren't simply wanting to be heard. We aren't simply wanting to get our words out. Some of us love to just be the ones that are speaking. I I struggle with that myself. Um, But that's not what we're doing here. To speak graciously means that we are actually longing to show grace to others in the way we speak. There's a connection between the attitude of our hearts and the way we communicate with others. If we love a person, we truly love a person, it's going to come out in the way we speak. If we truly want them to experience the grace of God and and we want to be gracious to them, then it's going to come out in the way we speak. If we are bitter, that's going to come out. People are going to know that we're bitter. If you are a person who has come to understand and enjoy the grace of God, then the grace of God should flow out of your mouth to others. And not just in a few conversations, but in all conversations. So let your speech always be gracious. And then finally, he says, let it be seasoned with salt. Now, for our speech to be salty, (laughs) it means that we should speak in a way that makes an impact, I think. right? He's not saying that we need to be the master of the one-liner, right? Um, but our words should have an impact on a person's heart. And, and one of the best ways we can do that is that we can be so familiar with the rudimentary truths of the Christian faith that when we open our mouths, we speak the truth in love. So devote yourselves to prayer with, thanksful, with thankfulness. Pray for the gospel to advance in the world and through your witness. Live wisely and speak the truth with love and grace. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. And in that way, you can stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.